All right, hello and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, really good, man. I mean, what a weekend of football. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to talk about these matches this week. It was just, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a perfect weekend for the Long Ball Football Podcast, isn't it? A few upsets. <laughs> Yeah, a couple of upsets, nothing wrong with that. And because it's such uh, a big week in Portuguese football, we couldn't do it by ourselves. So uh, we're very pleased to introduce a special guest to this week's show, Mr. Patrick Ribeiro, a fellow member of the Portugal.net family, someone we wanted to have on the show for a long time. So thank you for joining us, Patrick. Hope you're well. No problems, yeah. The, the feelings mutual been wanting to uh, get involved with the, with the content, which I'm a big fan of. So yeah, very, very happy to be a part of uh, the podcast today. Obviously, lots of football. Um, going on over the weekend some big shocks as you said involved so it'd be nice to delve into some of those games do you want to um declare your interests from the beginning obviously uh you have allegiances to one of the teams that played this weekend yeah yeah um <laughs> uh i am a sporting fan so i'm not the happiest bunny at the moment um uh, i feel a bit harsh we got you on a, on a bad week we could have got you on you know yeah. the week they won the league or something yeah but i mean you know with defeats i think that's probably when uh, the, the truest opinions come out mm. and you've got most to talk about. When you're winning, it's all good, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah. So we, we've got we've got some issues to, to, to throw onto the table. So uh, I'm sure it'll be a good show. Absolutely. All of which we're going to come on to very soon. We are, of course, going to cover all the games from the Big Three this weekend and a couple of other games as well. But before we get stuck into the Primera Liga, I want to get you guys' reactions because we had the Champions League and Europa League groups drawn last week. We're going to start with the Champions League. In Group B, Porto were drawn against Atletico Madrid by Leverkusen, by Leverkusen and Club Bruges. In Group D, uh, Sporting were drawn against Eintracht Frankfurt, Spurs and Marseille. And in Group H, Benfica were drawn against PSG, Juventus and Maccabi Haifa from Israel. Now, I don't know about you guys, but for me, my immediate reaction to this was that Benfica had the toughest group out of the three. Barney, I'll come to you first. When you look at Benfica's group, what do you make of their chances of getting out? I mean, it does look tough. I think um, I saw an interesting thing that Transfer Market put out, which was the sort of the value, the combined value of the teams in each group. And um, according to that, um, yeah, Benfica's is far higher. I mean, I don't know. I, I always find it hard to say because like, you see so many people saying different things as soon as the group stages now. That's a lot of people saying Juventus are done. Don't need to worry about them. <laughs> so like, do you know? But you, the only thing I'll say about Benfica is that I always feel that they're very, they're very solid in the Champions League. We've seen that particularly last season, you know. And I think there is something there. You know, they, they seem. I've said it before. I, I'd be interested if Patrick agrees with me, but um, being a sporting fan, but I feel like Benfica have got a sort of a pedigree in the Champions League. You know, they, they always seem to, to to do be able to do something. See, I think. And this goes for all teams. I think we all the Portuguese teams have found themselves in challenging groups, but they're all groups I think they can all look at and say, yeah, we can get out of this. I think um, it's particularly for Benfica, uh, the matchup will, that, that everyone's looking at will be Juventus. They're looking at Juventus as one of the favourites to get through, but if, they're, if it isn't PSG and Juventus, I think Juventus are the team that are likely to drop out and probably go Europa League in place of what everyone expects to be Benfica. Um, and, and yeah, I'd agree with that. But Juventus haven't been great the last two seasons, particularly in Italy or in the Champions League. 
Um, and uh, they haven't started this campaign particularly well either, whereas Benfica have. Uh, you know, the, their form's immaculate. Uh, a big difference this year, of course, is the addition of Roger Schmidt, who is someone with some form of European pedigree, which isn't uh, mm. like necessarily um, something that Benfica had before. They'd obviously uh, dipping their toes in a, a more local market with Portuguese managers. Mm. Um, and so it is, I think the outlook for Benfica is good. I think they should be hungry uh, and ready for the challenge, just like sporting. I think their group's quite interesting in Porto's as well. But uh, for sure, I think Juventus is uh, the, the the team for Benfica to tackle. 100%. I think my immediate reaction was that this was a tough group, but I think the more I looked at it, and like you said, you know, Juventus not being perhaps the powerhouse that they once were, there is definitely an opportunity. The thing I was thinking about was comparing this group to Benfica's group last year. They obviously finished second behind Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich, of course, did what they did and finished top, but they did knock out a good Barcelona side. Um, I think they can take great courage from that. And also the fact that, to be perfectly honest, they're in a much better position than they were in last year. In my opinion, I consider them a more stable club and a, a more competent club than they were last year. So I think they can take good heart from from what they achieved last year, the group that they're in, maybe they won't finish top, but there's a definite opportunity to progress there. Um, let's talk about Porto's group. I think this is a, a really interesting group. I think, and I might be, I'm not sure if I'm alone in thinking this, but I think Porto have probably got the best chance of any Portuguese club of winning their group. They've got Atletico Madrid by Leverkusen and Club Rouge, obviously, again, just to reflect on what they did last year, they were in a group with Atletico Madrid, Madrid again, but also they have Milan and Liverpool. They obviously finished third in that group, two points behind Atletico. But Atletico, but this year, of course, the big difference is there's no Liverpool. You know, Atletico are the big team in that group. There's no Milan. You know, um, so I think there's definitely an opportunity. Second place is very achievable, but even a first place finish um, is on the cards for Porto. I don't know. I might slightly disagree on that because I feel like the the, the quality of uh, Club Bruges and Leverkusen are, seems I don't know they do I don't think they're walkovers by any stretch of the mm. imagination. No, I think they they could be difficult games. I I I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking too much about the Porto's performance in the league so far. But I just feel like they they seem like tricky games. I would also put the same with Sporting's group as well because I feel like all four of those teams in Sporting's group Marseille, Frankfurt, and, and Tottenham are just. Once again, just there's no there's no guaranteed three points in in any of those uh, matches there. So, yeah, I think it's going to be tough for Porto. Well, for me, I'd, I'm looking at that group for Porto, and I'm thinking Atletico Madrid are obviously the main threat, the mm. the favourites to to get out of that. Um, but it's a it's a team that I think Porto could could go toe to toe with. It's a team that suits Porto very well. Uh, in that stylistically, um, I think Atletico, uh, it will be an interesting matchup because I think when Atletico play a team that's supposedly inferior, they're quite str- they struggle to impose themselves fully, um, and, and I think Porto tend to be a bit more flexible mm. in that regard, whether they're a the small team or whether they have to uh, take their chances and, and perform like a big team. For instances in the game, I think Porto are a lot better at doing that. Um, and then they showed that uh, on a few occasions last year against Atletico Madrid. So I think Porto can really come into this with the experience that they have and, and really take Atletico on and uh, by the end of the six games of the group, top for them. The only thing that 
causes doubt in my mind with regards to Porto um, is the quality that they've lost in midfield. Mm. Um, and at the very highest level, which the Champions League gives sometimes, uh, that could be very te- telling. And they'll need that, um, particularly against the other two teams, Leverkusen and Bruges, who uh, are on a level that's probably more um, on Porto's level, but they have they pose different challenges. Um, and yeah, that quality that they're missing in Vitinho and um, Fabio Vieira, who's just gone, Luis Diaz even, who was fantastic for them um, uh, in the early stages of the Champions League, that, that will be telling. I think in definite contrast to Benfica, Porto, of course, in perhaps a weaker position than they were in terms of uh, the squad that they've got. Um, and let's talk about Sporting. I think I find Sporting's group the most confusing group to be talking about. So just as a reminder, Eintracht Frankfurt from Germany, Spurs from England and Marseille from France. I don't know if this is going to make me sound completely stupid, but in my mind, there's almost as equal an opportunity for Sporting to win this group as there is to finish bottom of this group. There's almost, you know, both of those eventualities are possible. I think on paper, you could probably say that Spurs are the most superior team in this group. Maybe that's just Premier League bias, but I think that's not an unfair thing to say. But then when I look at Eintracht Frankfurt, of course, reigning Europa League champions and Marseille currently doing very well in France. Last time I checked, I think they were joint top with PSG in France. So not a bad team at all. Those two teams, um, there's not one team where I look at them and I think, yeah, that's the team that Sporting needs to aim for six points off. You know, in, in, in Porto's group, you've got maybe Club Bruges in Benfica's group. You've got maybe Maccabi Haifa where you think, you know, you want to bank on getting six points from from that team. Sporting doesn't have that luxury. doesn't mean that they can't beat those teams on their day. We saw them do really well against um, Dortmund in the Champions League last season. So for me, I, Sporting is the group that I find most difficult to predict because when it comes to those games against Frankfurt, against Marseille, even Spurs, it's not impossible that Sporting get a, a win against Spurs at home. So it's a very, very unpredictable group. Patrick, I'll bring you in first as the Sporting fan here. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Again, there is a side to me that thinks Sporting side is a little bit incomplete and lacking in quality, obviously with the departures and Matilj Nunch. Um, uh, and others um, we, we are luck- lacking that X factor just a little bit um, and there's still a, f- a couple of days to address that so we'll see what happens um, with that but all in all it is a very open group uh, Tottenham I'd agree with you they are the favourites I think Marseille will probably follow them uh, quite mm-hmm. closely after that but not by much because Frankfurt are a very solid side at the same time um, but they even for the other three sides outside Tottenham, there's hope for them because you look at the the record that Antonio Conte has in the Champions League, even with the the powerhouse that we mentioned that was Juventus, it it wasn't great. Um, it took a, a Massimiliano Allegri to to actually take Juventus to the next level in Europe. Conte doesn't really deal uh, with European games in, as well as he does domestically. So there's mm. that little bit of hope for the others as well that they can catch. Spurs by surprise, in particular with the Premier League being as hectic as it will be. I think on average, most Premier League teams around October will have eight to nine games. There's a lot of football to be played. So um, it'll be an interesting one. Interesting one as well for Sporting and and their young manager to test themselves because, funnily enough, all the teams in that group play three at the back with uh, four midfielders and three attackers. So that will be very interesting to see how that pans out tactically. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so, 
it's on a knife edge. Anything mm. can happen in that group. It's so difficult to predict, which is a good thing because, you know, for sporting anyway, they're, they're quite used to come into a group with one or two big hitters who are overwhelming favourites to the top mm. of the group. And, and unfortunately, they overpower sporting on the occasions that they're given. So uh, I think they'll fancy that one. Patrick, I'm wanted to get your opinion on how you think Amarin's done lot like in the Champions League as as a manager. Like I know you've only got last year to go off, but what what how have you felt he's he's coped with it? And... Well, I think it's important to establish obviously that Amarin is still a very young coach and uh, I think he would he should have learned loads from those uh, games that he did have in the Champions League. Um, I think it was fantastic that he managed to, to get out of the group. Uh, it's, it wasn't an easy group. Ajax, Dortmund, they're regulars, even Besiktas to a certain extent. But I think I think all teams caught Besiktas at the right time. They weren't mm. really at the races um, when it came to it. Uh, but Sporting, you know, professionally took advantage of it and they, and, and they, um, they really, uh, particularly against Besiktas, they really behaved like a, a, a proper Champions League side. And as well against Dortmund, they gave them a very good game. Uh, the Ajax was the only um, only game that you would exclude that you thought Sporting looked uh, out of sorts. And then again, against Manchester City, it's very easy for that to happen. Um, but I thought I thought he dealt really well, and um, I, I I would have hoped that Sporting could uh, learn from that, go a level up, and and impress further. You know, and that might mean last sixteen again. Uh, but uh, it's all very dependent on who you get in the draws, you know. It's, it's just the nature of the Champions League. Uh, but uh, I, I would have hoped that we could improve upon that. Um, but I'm unsure uh, with the sales that uh, have happened at Sporting, and naturally, you know, every every Portuguese league team has to sell uh, uh, to, to be in a good books financially. Uh, but I wonder what sort of uh, instability that sort of caused, uh, and whether Sporting can truly go. Um, one further and better what they did last year. Definitely. Well, look, we're going to find out very shortly. It all kicks off next week. Uh, on Tuesday, 6th of September, Benfica are at home against Maccabi Haifa. I think, personally, that is a must-win game for Benfica. Yeah. And on Wednesday, Sporting away against Frankfurt, a tough start. Uh, and then Porto are away at Atletico also on the Wednesday. So, tough games for those two clubs to start the Champions League. I do quickly want to just touch on the Europa League before we get into the Primera Liga. Braga, the only team representing Portugal in the Europa League, they got drawn in Group D with Malmo from Sweden, Union Berlin and Union Saint-Gilois from Belgium. I think it's a group they really, really have to aim to win. I think Union Berlin perhaps will be the toughest test out of the opposition, but I can see them doing, you know, the double over both Malmo and USG. So, yeah. We say it every year, but a, 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 a good run in the Europa League would be fantastic for Braga and a, and a good start to their group would be fantastic. I'll see if Diego Leite has anything to say about it. <laughs> but no, I think they should do well in that group. And, I, and the way they've started the season, yeah, they, just, they need to... I want to see a bit more from them in the Europa League this year. Yeah, for sure. They've started like a house on fire in the league. So uh, it bodes well. A lot of uh, Malmo, USG... Uh, Union Berlin will be looking at Braga thinking uh, <laughs> we've got to um, watch out a bit when it comes to it um, but you know the other teams aren't easy as well uh, Malmo again team with 
uh, a fair reputation. Um, Union Berlin come with good pedigree from the Bundesliga uh, last season. Uh, and USG were very solid last season as well in the Belgian league. Uh, you know, they t- they led their division for uh, a good number of uh, of weeks and months. So uh, it, it will be tricky, but it, you know, it, it kind of similar to the sporting one. I think it will be tricky, uh, but it'll be tricky for everyone. Mm. So, um, but you'd be disappointed if Braga didn't make it through. I was looking at the other teams in the Europa League because in recent years, we've had some really big name teams in the Europa League who kind of, clean up, as it were. And to be totally honest, I was only really looking at teams like Arsenal, maybe Roma and Manchester United as the kind of standout teams that are probably, you know, head and shoulders above the rest. After that, it looks like it's quite an even playing field. So it it really does seem even more imperative that if Fraga can, you know, like I said, get off to a good start in this competition with a really strong group, get out of the group in first, get a favourable draw, in the next round, there's definitely an opportunity, depending, of course, who they get drawn against in the next rounds, to make a dent in this competition. Again, quarterfinals last year, me and Barney discussed the way they were knocked out against Rangers. I think it was quite disappointing. I felt that they could have got more from the first leg. And you just knew going into that second leg that you know a one-goal lead wasn't really going to be enough. But you don't want to be too harsh. A quarterfinals in the Europa League for a club of Braga's size. Let's not forget, you know, Braga's not quite the same in Europe as it was maybe even five to ten years ago so you know quarterfinals would be another success for me on paper uh, but can I just add to that also seeing the group stages for the, the conference league and seeing the teams in that competition mm. and just thinking like it's such a missed opportunity for I know it was hard it was a hard qualification for both Victoria and Gilbert but still, I just see I see those the teams in that competition and some of the groups, and you just think, oh, why why don't we have a team in there? Like it, mm. we could really do so. Well, let's get on and talk about the Premier League because, as we said at the top of the show, it was an incredible weekend of Premier League football. Two massive upsets uh, this weekend. The first that we're going to talk about is Sporting versus Chavs, a game which ended in an incredible two. Uh, 2-0 win for Chavez away at the Alvalade. A very damaging result for Sporting after losing 3-0 to Porto the week before. They would have been hoping for a bounce back to dispel the nerves amongst the fans. They would have wanted a convincing win, but it was a million miles from that. And it's fair to say the fans have been left in a bit of turmoil, shall we say. Fingers pointing left, right and centre. We're going to try and take this one in a calm and measured way. But as a Sporting fan, Patrick, I'm quite interested for yourself what has your immediate reaction been have you have you been able to stay away from the hysteria or have you been sucked in a little bit um no i mean it's i i like to to, to approach things with an element of caution it's still early in the season mm. um but you know right this, this isn't my first portuguese uh uh premier league season i know that <laughs> the hysteria does take over um, and, and I just watch on, and I, I fear that it could it could just be taken over um, at, at Sporting. I think you could feel it uh, in certain instances during the game. There was lots of lots of nervy passes, attempts, and and such, and you could immediately feel the the crowd were getting onto the players. So there is a a certain element of um, things not being stable. Like you can just tell, like the places ready to erupt at any moment. Um, and 
in in essence, I don't think the first half was too bad from mm. Sporting. I don't think it was a a, a, a bad half. I thought we, we, we dominated um, certain parts of the first 45. We could have um, perhaps gone uh, into the break leading. Um, uh, but when when the team is as it is in, in, in a certain state of uh, instability and, uh, and um, carrying uh, like a weak mentality, shall we say, uh, a fragile uh, uh, well-being, it, it only takes one goal for the mm. house of cars that you're building in that game to just come tum- tumbling down and everything to, to feel like a dystopian uh, reality. Um, and that's what happened. Shav scored the first goal. Uh, the second goal soon came um, uh, and Sporting were just unable to respond. And I mean, uh, I, I, I feel like the players know that what they have out there, um, even though they know within themselves they should be beating a Shavs team who's just been promoted, with all due respect, they've been very good uh, since the start of the season. Uh, um, but at home, you should be beating pretty much every single club that comes uh, your way. Um, but they know that the conditions aren't fully in place for them to do that. They know that they don't have uh, options in midfield to, to rotate things. They don't. They know that they don't have a striker uh, who who will guarantee them goals in moments like these. Uh, difficult, um, uh, uh, shall we say? You know, we've got Kuwaitis coming on up front um, in the 60th minute. Uh, it speaks volumes. Uh, I don't remember the last club that. Uh, that really did that other than Blackburn with Christopher Samba like <laughs> 10 years ago. And I think they got relegated that year, but they tried doing that as well. So it doesn't bode well. Um, but yeah, there's just a few gaps, a few holes uh, in a team. And I think with each setback that Sporting has, it starts caving away mm. um, at, at the morale that little bit more. And, and that could be a dangerous um, hole for, for a club to go down. I think it's uh, it's so interesting he talked there about the sort of the mentality and, and not just of the team but of the, of the fans as well because I it's I think in this league there's I remember thinking this last season as well and the, and the season before when 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 Sporting won the league you know there was that tiny little blip towards the end of the season and and people were getting a bit worried but it wasn't crazy and then the difference in that is when you're when you're chasing and then it suddenly just gets amplified so much more and it, and it just feels it feels so much worse. I, I was texting out when we came. I, I, because I, I put so much. Th- these games obviously have so much importance to the outcome of the league, as we're seeing more and more. But I don't know how to feel. I don't know whether to, you know, be with people in panic station mode or, or just like, you know, just say, oh, let's see what happens. I, I think, I think you're Pat, Patrick got a spot on there, just saying that once the first goal went in for Chavez, it just all that good work that, and it, they had to be patient. You know, I thought Shav just defended so well. I think Stephen Vittoria and, and Nelson were just, well, first of all, fantastic business, but they were just, I also think they would have been licking their lips seeing them coming up against Rashini Edwards and Trincao. You know, there's no one, yeah. they're not causing them problems. They're just going to, you know, they're going to deal with that all day long. And I think that's what it did. Um, obviously we should praise the goalkeeper as well. who had an excellent game. Um, he, he made a couple of good saves. But yeah, I just think seeing that front three of sporting, I just think Stephen Vittoria and Nelson Mont would have just been so happy. 
Well, I think it's interesting you say that because you know, and, and me and Barney, the one thing we were taking a lot a lot about during the week is things that we've said on previous podcasts, which have been proved massively wrong, both in this game and in the Porto game, which we'll come on to in a sec. But one of the things that I found interesting was that we were praising that front three without Polino because I think it was the game against Rio Ave. Uh, it looked it looked very good. It looked very fluid. Uh, players kind of interchanging a lot. But I think what we saw in this game was that that doesn't work so well when the team you're playing is perfectly comfortable to let you kind of have the ball in and around the edge of the box, knowing that you're not really going to hurt them um, from close range. I mean, just, you know, obviously this isn't the best evidence, but if you go back and watch the highlights, there's not a single chance of note from inside the box in the first half. Not really one. All the chances are coming from the edge of the box. So the defence are very comfortable. Um, I think I'm very conscious that whenever we talk about these games, we fall into the trap of praising, um, criticising the bigger team rather than praising the smaller team. So just to focus on Chavs for a second, um, I described it as uh, a textbook performance. I think they got it spot on. I think they knew exactly what they were coming up against. They knew what game plan they needed to have and they implemented it very well. I'm not, I'm fully of the opinion that if a so-called smaller club goes to a big club and wants to sit back, soak up the pressure and wait to pick off a team on the counter-attack, that is a perfectly valid way of playing football. I have not got a problem with that at all. I know there are famous instances of managers like Jurgen Klopp criticising small teams for playing that way. I think it's a perfectly valid way of playing football and I think they did it phenomenally well. The goal from Stephen Vittoria, I'm interested what you two think. I've watched this goal, I swear to God, 50 times. He means that header. He yeah. means it. He means it. That is intentional, right? It's an incredible looping header. Um, people who listen to this show know that we're not big stats people. I'm not a big XG lover, but I had to go and check the XG of that goal that Stephen Vittoria scored. Allegedly 0.01. Incredible header from Stephen Vittoria. Um, and the second goal, you know, they took advantage of a defensive mistake from Sporting, you know, trying to play the offside trap on the halfway line and it just didn't come off um, and they got punished for it. So full credit to Chavez because it was um, a text, like I said, a textbook performance from a, a smaller club, an underdog going to a big team in their own back garden and playing exactly the way they needed to, to get an unlikely result. I think I've I've praised the centre backs there, but I also wanted to praise the wing backs for Shabs because I thought Langer and Correa just I've liked them from what I've seen all season. But I think they're just particularly Langer. He was fantastic. I thought very smart and like you know uh, would draw fouls as well at the right time. You know when he was on the pressure, um, I thought that yeah, fantastic. And also Bachi the winger because we've been Shabs um, has sort of stolen the limelight in the Shabs team as being the sort of creative attacking player. But I thought Bachi had an excellent game on the wing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I think Shavs have a a very good uh, group, a good nucleus, um, and I think um, as as you said, everyone will be talking about sporting, sporting, sporting. How could they lose and all that? But I think as the weeks tick on, um, people will slowly begin to realise that this Shavs team is actually quite solid. And actually, I think that goes for all the teams that have come up this year. Uh, just like Rio Aves, we'll, we'll touch upon them soon, I'm sure. But I. I from my perspective, the teams that have, have come up, I think all of them will will fight and, and stay in the division um, with uh, with some degree of comfort. I reckon. I think they they all look very good. I think we definitely agree with you. Yeah, and you know, just to reiterate what I was saying, it might sound weird for me to say as a neutral, but personally, I don't I don't have a massive problem with 
sporting losing this game in the manner that they that they did. I think teams lose games in this manner in every league in the world every week. You know, it happens. You just have those days when the players aren't finding the back of the net, the team's defending well. You can just feel the momentum going their way and and they get the goals, like I said, on the counter-attack. Um, it was e- exactly what happened in this game. But, but of course, you alluded to some issues that Sporting were having earlier. Um, individual errors is a huge problem. And, you know, when it's, it's multiple players, uh, players who were previously reliable players last season, I mean, you know, you're looking at names like Sebastian Coates, uh, Mateus Reese, I know he didn't start, but didn't really do well when he came on. Esguero has been an issue. I thought bringing Pedro Gonçalves back into the midfield, you know, is that Ruben Amarim trying to send a message that he doesn't have midfield depth? Does he genuinely believe that that's a good position? Personally, I think Ogarte and Marita would have done better in that midfield in this game. Maybe, and here's a crazy idea, maybe he could have gone with three in midfield, you know? But does is Ruben Amarim the type of manager who will will change his system? Um, these are all big questions. But I think Sporting clearly are having problems, and you can let me know whether you think these are momentary problems, whether you think these are problems that we should have seen for a while. But midfield is definitely an issue. Defensive confidence is definitely an issue, and the biggest elephant in the room is the striking options because when you've only got Polino, a player who, with the best will in the world is not the most prolific striker and your solution to that is to either play no striker or Sebastian Coates up front. These are just glaring big holes that surely Sporting and the people in charge could have seen coming a mile off. Yeah. Um, let's see, with the defence, it's difficult as well. Um, I get that the mistakes are happening. Sporting haven't been able to settle on a consistent back line really uh, so far and that offers its own its own issues, its own um, creates its own sort of problems, uh, be it through fitness or suspension. It's, it's, it's an issue, and, and the makeup of the defence when you play free at the back, uh, the profile of player that you use is also very dependent on the midfielders that you're you're happy to settle on. Um, and as you know, we've had ins and outs uh, in that respect. So it's been a difficult one for Muni to uh, challenge. One quote that he said that was quite interesting as well in, in trying to help the midfield and bringing Bot uh, Pedro Gonçalves into the midfield was that, yeah, he can do that. And Pedro Gonçalves is a player of uh, who, whose top, top quality, as everyone can see. Uh, but how does that impact his game? Will mm. he score 20, 15, 30 goals a season if he's in midfield? Probably not. So mm. how does Sporting cater for that? Um, they already have issues up front. Uh, players that aren't uh, scoring regularity through uh, the centre-forward position, is it wise to take Pedro Gonçalves out from there? So there's there's a lot of uh, issues there that probably attach to each other, right from the core, uh, the three centre-backs to the midfield, to the strikers. Um, And I think it's clear. I think you you said it quite rightly. I think Pedro Gonçalves comes into midfield at certain uh, point during the game um, and, and it's a clear message to the board I don't think Amorini is that he, as he's shown he's not the type of manager to be problematic he'll avoid problems at all costs uh, but I've sensed his personality his persona change um, mm. particularly since Matilde left um, mm. and obviously there was a lot attached to the sale of Tabata 
Palmeiras and how that should have uh, safeguarded the sale of Mateus Nunes. So broken promises involved, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, but for Amorim to suddenly uh, flick the switch and, and be more uh, upfront with his inner feelings that he probably would have kept to himself 12 months ago, um, what that tells me is that you know that potentially there's trouble in paradise mm-hmm. in this perfect, harmonious uh, atmosphere that once existed at Sporting uh, is beginning to wither away. And that's the danger. The players will feel that. They'll feel the energy coming from, uh, or lack of energy coming from uh, the dugout. And uh, as I said, that's what I fear could become a problem in derail Sporting season. Uh, they need to find a way uh, to put a lid on things. Let's move on and talk about the other big upset from the weekend and move on to Villa de Conde where Porto took on Rioav in a game where Porto, fair play to them, said anything sporting can do, we can do better and suffered a 3-1 loss away to the newly promoted side. They were 3-0 down at half-time and only managed a consolation goal towards the end of the second half. I'm aware, obviously, you know, we just spent a lot of time talking about sporting in a game where Chavez won, so I want to do the same here and start by praising uh, Rio Ave, who had, in my opinion, a phenomenal game. Some real standout individual performances all over the pitch, none more so than that of striker Yakubu Aziz, who surely had the best game of, of his career, definitely the best 45 minutes of his career in the first half, as he got two goals and an assist to give Rio Ave their 3 0 at half time. I was saying to Barney, it's incredible to think that just earlier in the same week, it looked nailed on that Yakubu Aziz was moving to Saint Etienne in the second division in France. He then allegedly turned down the move uh, and at the weekend is given an individual performance like that, an inspired performance, which really stunned not just Porto players, but fans um, and management. I think it's probably one of the best individual performances that we will see all season in this league. Yeah, he was, he was ruthless. And, and, you know, I, I, I was so I've been so excited to watch him in this league, and I, I was quite disappointed with the first two games. He, the sort of showing he did, but um, yeah, he's he's really, yeah, it was just uh, unplayable. And, and it's I remember thinking about how um, when Porto beat Sporting that I just wanted someone to test Pepe Macano, and that we mm. we never saw that. And Aziz was is the just seemed to be the perfect player to do that. It was um, and he's just so quick as well. That's what I love. Is he, he was. It's just devastating. I mean, another player I wanted to praise as well was Pedro Amaral, the, the left wing back, who uh, in the first few games he was playing in, in the back three and I, and uh, they were going with Paolo Vito as in the left wing back position and it just didn't seem quite right. But moving Amaral further forward, I mean, he obviously got the goal in this game, a, a beautiful assist for us. He's the second um, and he just looks like a, a re- left wing back is his best position and, and he just looks... Yeah, just a, a real player to keep an eye on, I would say. Yeah, I think the Hiwav team is another one that's similar to Chavs. Um, very strong group of players in there. Uh, Guga, Pedro Amaral, uh, um, it, they What they did well was l- make Porto's weaknesses very visible, mm. uh, be it in the centre of the pitch, centre of defence, uh, also in the flanks. Uh, and they varied play very well. Um, and, you know, the reward was there. They were freeing it up before half the time. Um, and um, 
you know, as much as the Porto manager won't like uh, what went on, what happened. Um, I think he he, he can have a, a a long hard look at at the, at the ninety minutes or ninety eight that were given uh, at the end of it, and um, and really see that. Hang on, my team's it, it, it's lacking here and there. Uh, and and he'll he'll have to go away uh, with his board and try to address that. I mean, from Porto's perspective, obviously huge disappointment. The fans in the stadium post game, there was some incredible footage that came out of some very kind of volatile fans at the end of the game. You can see where the frustration comes from, um, because you know, unfortunately, they look they look, in this game they look like a shadow of the club that was blowing away teams for fun. You know, this time last season um, you know I mentioned earlier me and Barney have to eat our words a little bit because I think my exact quote last week was that they look like a team where everyone's comfortable and knows what they're doing they looked far from it in this game and as you say Patrick Rio have really exposed a lot of the weaknesses in this team I don't usually like sort of name dropping individual players but uh, you know Bruno Costa starting in midfield Marcano starting in defence these are huge downgrades on the kind of players. Well, Bruno Costa is a huge downgrade, of course, on Vitinha, but Marcano, even in defence, and Bembo was significantly more solid than than Marcano. Especially strange to see those two starting when you've got new signings on the bench like David Carmo, even Andre Franco, who can play in midfield, sitting on the bench. You know, so. Very poor performances all over the pitch. A bit like sporting players that we would expect to do well. Teremi and Vanilson up front, pretty ineffective. Um, Malkan at the back, obviously. Sanusi and Joao Mario had a really poor time at fullback in this game. So they were there for the taking and, and, and Rio have really took their chance. There's something that I've been trying to describe for a while now of Conscious Out. And I think in this game, it really, I think I finally, it finally clicked me what it, what it is that... I've wanted to say, and, and I've always said that he trusts players and perhaps can over-trust players by giving them extended runs in the team when perhaps they're not performing. And I think you could potentially, well, it might sound too harsh, but look at Evan Wilson, Tremi, you see Tony Martin get on his game and, and how well he does. And the and then the sort of the, the other side of that is not giving players enough time in the team. Like Daniel Namaso, for example, you know, had such a good start to the season and then quite quickly was taken out of this team for, I, I don't know. I I just think the balance with Contra Sao in, in his choices of giving players an extended run of team and also not giving players enough time to, to get into the team, I just doesn't seem quite right. And I think he has different, um, you know, it's different for different players. Uh, so I, I, I haven't sort of, it's sort of clicked for me there that I think that, that that's sort of an issue that he really needs to address because we've been talking about the story of the season has been the loss of those midfielders, Fabio Vieira and Bettina, right? And they are obviously key losses, but I do think this Porto squad is, 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 is a strong squad considering the players and the performances they've had in the league. I mean, I know people are very critical of Bruno Costa, but he was a, a fantastic player at Passos de Ferreira and, and yeah, I sorry, I've been rambling a bit, but I think the point I'm trying to make is that, yeah, the, the, the squad just hasn't been managed well enough. And I think the players' confidence is, uh, some of those players, their confidence has been really knocked by conscious house selection sometimes. Well, what do you make of that, Patrick? Do you think, what do you think their recruitment's been like this summer? Because, you know, 
as as we've said many times, these clubs are used to selling players, used to selling key players and bringing in big transfer fees. Do you think they've replaced the creative players that they've lost well enough? Andre Franco, interesting signing in midfield, scored a lot of goals for Estoril last season. Has he got the potential to do the same things that Martino or Fabio Vieira did? Remains to be seen, but the squad is looking very, very different to what it did last season. You have to kind of think perhaps there hasn't quite been enough forward planning. Yeah, no, I there's elements to that that I definitely agree with um, with what Barney said because you know in essence Sergio Conceição is a very he's a very stubborn man he's a very stubborn manager and he uh, like any manager you know you have your own tactical beliefs and you swear by them and that's mm. that's what, that's what makes football uh, we we can't all think the same way and want our teams to play. Uh, pretty football or, or direct football and what have you football comes with different ideas different flavours and Sergio Conceição stands by his um, I do think he's actually managed the squad quite well uh, in that respect so I disagree with Barney slightly there because obviously he has lost a lot of uh, important players uh, and not for a lot of money when when we look at the distribution of the actual fees coming into the club at Porto um, with Agents and and you know intermediaries all involved. You know how much of the Luis Diaz money, which you know if we look at how good Luis Diaz is doing now at Liverpool, like for around forty million, it was it's a bargain for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of that forty million uh, was actually read, made readily available for for Porto to spend on someone else? And the same goes for uh, the Vitinha and Fabio Vieira sales. So um, it does complicate matters a little bit more. Uh, uh, for Porto and, and their scouting staff and, and whatnot. But at the same time, um, you do wonder whether the fact that if those players had become available and, sport, and Porto had managed to, to get uh, players in, like they have with uh, uh, David Carmo and Andrea Franco, uh, you know, their players are there. How quickly will Conceição say, yes, let's throw them straight in there? That's the complicated bit. I know... I. That's that's definitely the bit that Sergio Conceição needs to work on, and you can mm. see um, uh, that, for example, David Carmo is someone uh, who who is very revered within Port- the Portuguese game. I don't know how he's not um, starting over Marcano, even though Marcano has had a good start to the season with goals to his name. Uh, I think David Carmo. I'm surprised even that he's not. He hasn't been in the starting eleven since the uh, the very first day of the season, um, so it, it there's there's an element there that both sides need to sort of uh, bend the knee a bit. Sergio needs to stop being as stubborn, realize other opinions, other views on football, uh, and at the same time, uh, the the Porto boards um, have to have a closer look at how uh, uh, they tackle their plan, their, their long term planning. Uh, to make sure that Sergio Conceição uh, does compete uh, uh, in the best way possible, that he has all the con- conditions to compete, because he has been um, performing well, given the fact that he's lost uh, the players that he has. If it, for example, if we go back to January last year, at the point that you lose Luis Diaz, who's mm. by far the best player in the league, let alone uh, in your team. If you lose a player like that in the thick of a a, a title race, you you're sort of thinking, oh dear, like mm. how 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 do I go forwards? Am I uh, can I transmit that confidence to the team? 
um, the same level of confidence to the team um, that, that I could before with, with that player. With that player gone, if we lose the next game, uh, what, what, what will the mental state of the players be or the media? What will they say about uh, uh, the team as a whole? It's, it was a very challenging uh, thing to do, I think, uh, for football. And I respect Sergio Conceição for keeping that level um, you know, right up there and taking them all the way to, to winning the title. So there is an element within him that uh, he's like, yeah, we, we'll get the job done. So I admire him for that. But yeah, stubbornness is, is something that he, he's always had to work on. And it goes right through to the, to the style of players that he likes. He likes more industrious players. Very rarely will he uh, opt for a player with flair and, <laughs> and whatnot. And sometimes I think Porto missed that. It, it, I mean, the examples there against is Khiouafti, who, who blew them away first half. Porto needed to respond. Khiouaf knew when to re- retreat and be more disciplined. When did we see Porto carve them open? Probably, I think, the 91st minute or something. Mm. They lacked that that eye. Um, a, a player that can um, make... Well, someone like Vitinha, basically. Someone mm. who can who can carve open. Uh, opposition with a pass or two, or Fabio Vieira from the other side as well. Um, so lots to lots to figure out still. Well, as you say, no Vitinha to make those type of passes in the team at the moment. So they're going to have to figure out a different way of doing things. It's funny. I I always say I think it's easy to forget at the beginning of last season how long it took for Conceição to bring in Vitinha and to bring in Fabio Vieira. It was even longer before Fabio Vieira. Uh, was getting into the side, you know. So at the end of the season, we were thinking of these as key players, best players in Porto's team, key to the whole season. But, you know, it does take a long time for Conceição to come around uh, to that way of thinking. And I want to talk about a couple of interesting quotes from Rio Ave manager Luis Ferreira after the game. Um, The first one that I loved was him saying that apparently his message to the players at halftime was to go out and get a fourth goal. Absolutely loved that. But the the most interesting thing that he said was he opened his press conference before answering any questions by responding to something that Sergio Conceição had said. Conceição had talked about actual playing time in the game. Conceição was saying how he didn't know what the actual playing time was in the second half, but it was embarrassing. He said they had several opportunities, but we could have had 10 or 15 with more actual playing time, to which Luis Ferreira responded, uh, in Rio Ave, of the 10 league games this season with the most actual playing time, Rio Ave has three. And this game was the highest actual playing time of the, the whole day. So I did enjoy uh, those little clapbacks from Luis Ferreira. It's interesting because there does seem to be a stigma about, you know, what we said with Chavez, smaller teams sitting back, whether there's a kind of taboo around defensive football. But I think the thing that I really enjoyed about this game and just to bring it back to Rio Ave, the thing I really enjoyed about the manner that they won this game was that this was not a team scrapping for cheap goals. You know, this was a team playing great football. Porto were outplayed in the first half. And I think you have to say that Sergio Contasau, and I think he would admit this, to be fair, was outmanaged in the first half as well. Yeah, he certainly was. And I think there's a the Contasau's got a long history of them criticizing uh smaller team managers for you know, how many times he said Andy, Andy Jogo, you know what I mean? Like he's, um, when he's, he's happy to do it himself in, in, in the Champions League. I, I've always disliked that, that's that side of, of him. Um, but no, I think, yeah, we got, we, we do have to 
put the focus back onto Rio Ave and and their and Luis Freire as well, who's who's such an exciting young manager. He was was he at CD National, and I remember mm-hmm. there just thinking, I always rooted for him, but it, it never just quite come off. And it seems that now with this Rio Ave team, you know, with the with some very high quality players and young players, you know, he's he's able to start. Um, you know, seeing a style of football which is smart and 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 in moments, you know, really really aggressive and, and attacking. So yeah, I think he's a he's a great coach and certainly one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I'd agree um, entirely with, with with what said. Uh, what I like about uh, his style of play is, as you say, it's Aaron's it's different uh, to uh, what you traditionally see, uh, which is. Which probably uh, is why Sergio Conceição has aimlessly gone and said it was a uh, a game where you know lots of time was wasted and, and whatnot. Because um, that's that's the typical excuse that a a big team uh, or a big team manager would use in response to uh, a defeat like that. It's what he's used to. But if he's mm-hmm. honest with himself, that wasn't uh, the story of the game, and and uh, the Huaf coach was was quite right. Uh, and quick to, to to point him out on that. Um, I appreciate him a lot. I appreciate his his ethos, his ways, uh, because it does diversify the style of play right across the league. And I think he's uh, one of those who's uh, peddling um, change within Portuguese football. He's uh, making uh, uh, Portuguese football better. Uh, and you know, long may continue. May others uh, try to copy and have the courage to, to do the same because um, you know I do I do to a, a agree uh, see uh, the frustrations uh, in Conceição's comments it doesn't apply to this game but to others most mm. certainly I think the Portuguese league definitely has a problem with um, you know time wasting and whatnot and there are lots of measures that the Portuguese league uh, could explore uh, to tackle that I think the MLS has some very good um, uh, rules that they've implemented this year with regards to players uh, being injured and whether they need treatment or not and whether, if they do then uh, I think that automatically uh, like sort of uh, rules them out of the game for five minutes they can't come on until five minutes which if you're actually injured is fine because it takes yeah. you about four to five minutes to recover anyway uh, but if you're feigning injury that'll make you think twice about yeah. leaving your team down to ten men uh, and there's, so there's certainly that problem there in the Portuguese league that they should fix. Um, uh, but yeah, as you said, Sergio Conceição has lost uh, well and truly here and he's, he's sort of thrown the, the first excuse that come to his mind, I think. Mm, absolutely. Well, let, let's talk about the last uh, of the big three clubs in the league then. Talk about Benfica, who had a much, much less dramatic weekend than their rivals. They remain one of only two clubs in the league uh, to be unbeaten this season. They beat Boa Vista 3-0 away from home. Obviously, the game happened before Sporting and Porto played. Uh, but with hindsight, I think Benfica will now look at this game and, and be grateful that a potential banana skin was avoided. But the way Benfica are playing this season, contrary to last season, they look like the last team in this league, other than maybe Braga, who would slip up against a smaller team. The consistency that they're playing with both domestically and in a very, very comprehensive Champions League qualification campaign has been excellent. I mean, me and Barney have been full of praise for them. Obviously, I appreciate there's a, there's a rivalry there for you, Patrick, but 
You know, I, I don't think anyone, even their fiercest rivals, could deny that at this moment in time under Roger Smith, Benfica look like probably the most capable team in the Premier League at this point in time. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, I think even last year uh, and the year before, I think everyone would hold their hands up and say uh, that the quality that Benfica has in their squad compared to Sporting's, compared to Porto's, uh, it was by... Uh, uh, some form of distance better than uh, uh, their rivals. I think they've always had that uh, on them. Uh, but I think the difference this year uh, with the new manager um, is definitely that I think Benfica found a little bit of peace and they're able to work um, on their own project without uh, you know that hysteria. Obviously, with a couple of losses, questions will quickly be <laughs> asked. Uh, but they've managed to back up their work with with victory so far and gone clean with seven out of seven. Um, and it just allows them that breathing time to slowly, slowly fine-tune what they're working on. Um, and, you know, if they're once they're able to do that, then a lot of the quality that they actually have within uh, uh, will begin to show. And we're starting to see that. We're starting to see faces, even some faces that were already there that could have been contributing that weren't. Uh, such as Florentino, um, you know that the, there's a good uh, there's a good space there for Roger Schmidt to work on, and he's been doing he's been doing really well. Uh, uh, as you said, quietly uh, outside of uh, the whole hysteria that Portuguese football creates, I do think they, uh, in a similar way to to uh, Porto and Sporting, it's not a complete squad. I do feel like there are ways in which they can. Uh, improve even in this market uh, with one or two extra additions because um, uh, what we're seeing now is uh, you know key players like João Mario Rafa Silva um, they're at the top of their game right now uh, and they're playing well and they're, and, and they're being consistent but consistency isn't something that you'd always attach to those names there are times mm. where João Mario is a little bit more blunt uh, and Rafa um, is a little bit indecisive as well. There are times, you know, like everyone, uh, the same way you mentioned about the sporting attack and how exciting it was against Kuyuav, uh this weekend against Shavj, they were a, a lot quieter, kept a lot quieter. So uh, Benfica will need, um, I think, one or two players, uh, uh, like something different, something to vary uh, their attack a little more. Uh, but as a whole, I think their project probably edges it. Um, just uh, just ahead of Porto's right now uh, and Sporting's. Um, but hey, it's still the start of the season. There's still a lot of things to happen. We'll see what the dynamic is like once the Champions League games start coming in and, and whatnot. Um, I think a lot of uh, chess moves will be played uh, before then and there'll be a lot more scenarios to digest and, and see where we're at. One player who I thought had a slightly quiet game, but um, Goncalo Ramos... But it was great the fact that they had Peter Moose on the bench to come in, and I thought he looked he looked really good against um, his old team. Um, and also the the, the defense, I think you know, seeing Otamendi and Batonga at several points last season, um, uh, both f- fine defenders. But you know, d- d- the fact we in this game we were given a, a centre back partnership with Morata and um, Antonio Silva, I think getting his senior debut. I'm not sure if that's correct, but you know, both of them, particularly Morata, I think since Schmidt's come in. He's 
I was just surprised that there were rumours about him even leaving the club. You know, there was several links to a couple of French clubs and he's looked fantastic in the back. And, and yeah, I think this Benfica team, uh, you know, this because the way this game sort of panned out, wasn't it, is that they obviously got their goal in the first half, but and obviously needed that second. To, and, it, and it didn't come as easy as we might have expected. You know, the Bovista were able to hold them off Um but yeah, once that second goal came came in, it it, it was it, that was it, wasn't it? And I've I've just been I've, I wrote Jao Mario off last season. I I didn't expect him to to get his way back to the team, seeing the signings that Benfica made in in summer. But you know, I think this is a, is it the first time he scored two goals in a game in his whole career. But he looks great in that position. I, I really it it just works so well. I think he's fantastic on that left hand side. I've written in my notes that the the captain's armband gave him, you know, a bit of something extra. Gave him a little boost. Maybe we could be in for a Jean Mario renaissance under Roger Smith. I think you um, uh, very diplomatically alluded to a little something extra that Benfica could add to their kind of attacking options. I think Benfica would very, very much like that little something to be Ricardo Water from Braga. You know, this as we record this, there's still a couple of days to go in the transfer window and and still, just as it was on day one of the transfer window, the prospects for me of Ricardo Horta going to Benfica is quite a frightening one when you consider the, the options that they've got on the wings already. I think adding him into the mix would be a real, real statement of intent for um, Benfica. Unlike uh, Sporting and Porto, they don't seem to have as many problems, well, maybe this is not fair reporter, but they don't seem to have as many problems scoring goals. Um, eight goals in four league games is pretty good and six different goal scorers is very encouraging as well as, as I mentioned, they were very free scoring um, throughout their Champions League qualification. In the back of my mind, I, I worry about their striking options. Perhaps, you know, that we've just seen them this week let go Yeremchuk. Of course, he's gone back on loan to Belgium. That leaves them, I believe, with Gonzalo Ramos, Peter Musa. Uh, and Enrico Araujo. Um, some young options there, some untested options. Um, personally, like you say, a couple of places to add in the transfer market. I would have maybe gone in for a striker, maybe a centre-back. I think personally, Benfica in a very, very good position. But well, it's interesting to talk about the striking options of Benfica and also see the the striking options of Bovista, right? Because they didn't go with a, a, a sort of an out-and-out striker in this team that was left to Kenji Gori and Salvador Agra to to sort of lead the line. And they've done that for two games now. And I just feel like, I don't know how much it suits them. I feel like they're missing that, that vocal point. And I know Bosnick got on in this game, but didn't really offer much. But I think, um, yeah, I just felt at points in this game that the whole Bovista system just didn't seem to, I couldn't really picture what, what system they were playing. I Particularly, at, you know, sometimes the back line was just drawn out all over the place. And, it seems. I mean, I know they've made additions in, in this transfer window, but and, and that they might be trying to add, add some more. But I, it's still an area that is weak for me. I, you know, Reggie Cannon in the back three. They played the experienced Sasser as well. Pascal. I, I, for some reason in my head, I've got a real thing against him. I, I, I don't know why, but it's it's that's that's the worrying point for me. I, I quite like the midfield. I think they've got good attacking options when they, when they play the right combination of players. But yeah, that that the the back three of Bovista was certainly pretty weak in this game. I thought. I feel for Bovista a little bit because I think they look a lot weaker without Yusufu and G up front. I think his injury was very unfortunate just as he was coming into form, and they've signed Salvador Agra. 
I mean, he's no Gustavo Sauer. You know, you know, that's why they signed him. They saw him as that kind of replacement, but he's nowhere near the level that Gustavo Sauer was. And well, that's probably a bit unfair to replace him. But they still have very positive players in that team. Kenji Gore, for me, continues to be a very underrated uh and very interesting attacker for them. I think Gaius Makuta in midfield is an excellent player. Um and in defence, like you say, Reggie Cannon, we hope good things will come for him. Um, so there's a very good squad at, at, at Boa Vista. Uh, similar to what we were saying about Aruka a couple of weeks ago, this is not really a game to judge Boa Vista on. Um, you know, when you when you play against when you play against Benfica, it's it's you know, it's almost almost a write-off. Obviously, they've had good games against uh, Benfica in recent years. This wasn't one of them, but it's been a decent start to the season for Boa Vista. Um, Patrick, I'm interested in your thoughts on Boa Vista because when me and Barney were chatting kind of before the season started, we were talking about what teams would have ambitions to be to be up there, basically, you know, to be one of those teams hunting down the last European spot. Well, Vista have obviously struggled in recent years for form. They were in a relegation battle not long ago. But personally, I, I, I had a feeling that they were just about ready under Petit, who I think, again, um, his time at Bisa did really bad things with his reputation, particularly for us. But at Burvista, he's proved he's a decent manager. There's a decent squad there. And I think they're looking in general in a much more stable position, in a position where they could be perhaps uh, ready to compete with with teams like Vittoria. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're both two parties that have a lot to prove themselves mm. in terms of Boavista and Petit, because as you said, Boavista have had uh, the struggles in recent years in in promising uh, a, a fair bit, much like they'd like this year to, to to hit those European spots, but they haven't really done that. They've done the opposite, gone in the opposite direction, um, and, and somehow uh, managed to salv- salvage themselves. But D is another manager who's, you know, but it seems like every every year it, it, he's he's got a new job, uh, <laughs> and, and and that happens for various reasons, uh, many of them not good. Um, so he's a manager who, personally, me, I'm not a fan of his, uh, because he main, mainly because of his style of play. But as I said, it is a style of play that's valid, uh, and he is diverse and diversifying it a little bit more now that he's uh, at Boavista. Um, it it will be an interesting test, uh, and it could be a a, a very uh, interesting point in 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 his career as a manager uh, in terms of growth and, and developing uh, his tactical aspect uh, as well as uh, improving uh, on Boavista's fortunes, which he has done. He's he's, he's more or less stabilised the club. I think they're in a good position to push ahead now. Uh, you mentioned uh, a few good names that they have uh, in terms of Reggie Cannon and Gore. Uh, Agra, we know he, he's a player of quality. He's bounced around the league. Uh, Makuta is very good in midfield, uh, and uh, I'd be surprised if he wasn't picked up uh, sooner rather than later. Um, so, you know, it, there's a good there's a good base there for for Petit to work from. Um, uh, but it will be difficult. The Portuguese league is is quite unpredictable and. Uh, in that aspect there are a lot of teams who have the potential to have mm-hmm. a, a good season and aim for that uh, final European spot so uh, they're, they're in for a big big challenge Well as I mentioned there's one other team that remain unbeaten in this league and that team of course is Braga a team making a lot of headlines at the moment they made it three wins in a row by demolishing Aruka in 
Aruka. Um, again, they matched last year's scoreline of winning 6-0 in the Estadio Municipal de Aruca. They were 4-0 up at half-time. Simon Banza needed just 22 seconds to score. Ricardo Horta, who's been kind of off his best with the uh, ongoing Benfica transfer kind of hanging over his head, he got two goals and a man of the match performance, so it was good to see him playing well. I said last week to Barney when they beat Maritimo 5-0 that that was a perfect performance as far as they were concerned. Well, they went and topped it and made this one perhaps an even more perfect performance. They continue their uh, incredibly impressive start to the season. Um, and yeah, Patrick, I'll start with you. Just your reaction to to this game and Braga on the whole. Yeah, I mean, uh, they're riding uh, their wave. They're in, mm. they're in excellent form. Um, and it's it, it was great to see their, their forward line in particular combined as well as they did Vitinha mm. and Banza, or I think it's I think they've already got their own uh, nickname. <laughs> I think it's Banzini or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, they're they're absolutely on fire. I think Banza um, in particular coming into the team, you got to give him the credit because he's obviously not had as much time uh, as others uh, in terms of learning the pattern of play and whatnot. But he certainly learnt um, his surroundings quite well, and he's. He's made them better. He's really uh, sharpened the tools up front, and I think him and Vitinha, particularly in that four four two, will be a, a a very big problem if uh, if Braga are able to to, to keep um, uh, things tighter elsewhere. Um, I mean, as you say, they've been so good that we we've forgotten Ricardo Duarte's, uh yeah. even needed at times at Braga. Yeah. You know, someone who was such a key player last year. He's not really got into his stride this year, and you, if you would say your key player is not really going to get started yet uh, uh, in a season, you think, oh wow, it might be a difficult one. But no, mm-hmm. Braga are uh, hitting the left, right, centre, and after four games, they've got something ridiculous like seventeen goals. Uh, uh, and I think credit to that goes to how how they've set up and, and how good those two players, Vitinha and Banza, have been. Um, and yeah, they're they're going to be a problem this year uh, for sure. You mentioned um, teams tied up in other areas. I, I was, I was saying to Albert in the week. I, I don't think it matters. I think, I think this team are going to score like, like against. We we saw sort the of score three against Sporting. Like that, no matter who they come up against, they, they're going to get goals. And I, I think that's a, that's a real. Braga have needed that because they're not going to have a rock solid defense. You know, they, they've, they've lost karma. They've brought in, they can say that's decent, but you know, a young player, the Tormenta's, you know, an okay defender for this league, but he's not, the, the point I'm trying to make is that they, they, they're not going to need the defense this, this season. They, 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 they're just, I just think they're ridiculous going forward. I think, and we've talked about last week, the, the strength on the bench as well with um, our Ruiz coming on, like he's, he's, looks like a different player like you know the, the the way he makes an impact whenever he gets on like yeah I'm I'm just so excited because I feel like Arthur George has, has got something going here and maybe we're getting too overexcited you know you could say that the three games they played apart from the sporting game were perhaps easy ones I know Rook had got their two wins but this was a, a different team and uh, you know a few changes and, and then you know it, it is a Rook at the end of the day but I, I, yeah, I, I'm excited to see him come up against Porto and Benfica. Obviously, they're going to be tough tusks, but I, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning there that I just think 
this Baraga team are going to are going to score plenty of goals, and that's going to really help them get points and in games that they might not have last season. Oh, boy, and I'm just really enjoying you saying Braga are not going to need their defence this season. I love that. <laughs> to see them winning every game 5-4. <laughs> what a season that would be. But do you know what? I think you do do a slight, in my opinion, I think you do a slight disservice to the defence. One of the things that I, I noted after this game, because me and Barney talked a couple of times about how the strength and depth looks so much better than last season, despite the fact that they haven't made tons of signings. So, you know, you kind of wonder where this has come from. And I was thinking that actually a part of this has come from players who were not reliable last season, taking a step up in their performance. And I think one of those players, I would say, is Tormena, who was a player that I saw as kind of dispensable last year or a player that needed to be upgraded. Um, someone that they shouldn't really be uh, uh, settling on as a centre-back. But credit to him, he, he's done a very, very good job. He's keeping Paolo Oliveira at the team. Nyakate, like you say, still young, but I think he looks like a very good player. There are other players as well, former squad players, players who you know weren't really making an impact. Castro, what an incredible goal he scored in this game. You know Where did that come from? If anybody's not seen this game, please go watch the highlights just to watch Castro's goal. Abel Ruiz kind of lays it off one touch and he just curls into the top corner. It's a fantastic finish. Um, Andre Horta in midfield, you know, a player who has always kind of been in his brother's shadow, I guess, but he's been the better of the two Hortas in the first part of the season. Um, and Jallo, the winger who seems to be making an impact off the bench, a player who was frozen out of the, the side last season. I believe the situation was that he hadn't agreed a new contract and so he wasn't playing with the team. Signs a new deal under the new manager. The manager brings him in and he's making an impact off the bench. So I think their strength and depth is is something that clubs like Sporting, maybe Porto, will be envious of at this moment in time because it looks like everybody who's involved, even the players coming off the bench, Lainez came off the bench and got his first goal. Everyone who comes off the bench, everyone who starts, is prepared to make an impact. And, you know, that may be momentary. That may be the fact that the managers managed to create a kind of mindset at this moment in time. It might be psychological. These things maybe don't last forever, but at this moment in time, it's it's everything's clicking. Everything's kind of falling into place and they need to ride the wave, as you said, Patrick, as long as they can. And just to yeah. finish up reacting to what you said, Barney, I can't wait to see them play Porto. And I, you know what? They've got Porto in October. I think Braga fans won that game next week. You know, they re they would fancy any team in this league the way they're playing at the moment. Well, I mean, maybe we should have a little look at Erika because obviously, you know, they've had such a good start to the season and, and have surprised us all, to be honest. And I don't know, there was, they obviously were well beaten in this game and, and conceding those goals early obviously wouldn't have helped. But, the, you know, just a few notable changes in the team, you know, Puka obviously not in the defence, made them look a little bit weak, I thought. And uh, I I want to keep talking about him because he is Busquets' uh, younger brother, but Oriol Busquets <laughs> like he hasn't he doesn't seem to have adapted well to this league yet. He, he really hasn't like I I haven't really seen him have a good game. But as someone I've been so excited to see, but uh, I you know when Vitinho is on the bench, who was great when he got on last game, I thought I was a bit surprised by that selection. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> not a good game for Aruka after a good start. In terms of digesting the defeat. You already got. You already got to look as far as the last game for Braga and the game before that. Um, mm. They are uh, on really good form, hot form. Everything they do uh, works out 
Um, and, and yeah, Aroca came into the game and they made their mistakes, so they'll know where they went wrong. Uh, but in terms of uh, having any lasting effects on on the outlook of their season, I think they can more or less take it with a pinch of salt and move on from it. Um, and yeah, they'll have to really. Mm. Um, one thing I would add as well that's really positive about the Braga team, um, uh, by contrast, is uh, also, uh, as you said, uh, Dorjaj coming up from the B team. I think he, he's sort of had a similar impact uh, to what Amuni had when he first came in and he he looked straight to the youth team. Obviously, George has that advantage that he's worked closely uh, with the B team. So he knows uh, uh, the young players that are hungry, that are ready to to, to leave an impression. Uh, and he sort of opened the field and extended that to, as you say, a lot of the French players who perhaps weren't given uh, the chance or had something that they felt they needed to prove. Uh, that's something that's really positive um, about Braga going forwards is that they have players uh, stepping up and behind that uh, uh, hub of uh, young players who are very eager to get out onto the onto the field, uh, which, which is important because you know when we talk about Braga, we talk about a team who uh, is desperate to challenge the likes of Sporting, uh, Porto, Benfica, you know, break that top three monopoly uh, and really. Um, leave an impression on, on the Portuguese game for one season, two seasons, three seasons on the spin. Uh, a lot of that sometimes comes from the groundwork and what you do with the youth team. And and their youth team, if they want to um, move forward, they don't have the resources that um, Sporting Benfica and Porto do. They have to play smart and they have to play uh, it via their scouting or their youth team. And they have to find a way to channel those players, those talents, um, into the first team. I think what Artur Jorge can do for them is is give them that real push in the right direction and start seeing some of those gems come through because they do have a very good uh, academy with some exciting prospects coming through as we can all see. Yeah, I think similar to what you know we're saying about them riding this form they've got on the pitch right now. I think again, I, I really, I really try and avoid saying things like this, especially so early in the season, but. I, I I can't help but say that perhaps Braga need to smell blood in terms of the race for the top three this season. Of course, I know there's a long way to go, but they will be looking at those other clubs thinking that there's an opportunity to finally break into that top three after a, a long time. And as I was saying, similar to how they need to ride the wave of, of the form they're in on the pitch, they also perhaps, if they're being ambitious, need to recognise that the squad that they've got at the moment, the conditions that it's in, and the promising group of young players, because there are a lot of good young players in that side at the moment, they need to recognise that they've got an opportunity there to really build something quite special over the next one or two years. If I was, you know, a member of the Braga hierarchy, that's kind of what I would be thinking. If we're going to make an effort, if we're going to give this a push to really break in, are we going to get a better opportunity in the next five years than the one we've got right now? Obviously, like I said, it's very early days. It's interesting. I was... um. I was chatting on Twitter to Aaron and Felipe from the Plus Bridge on other podcasts. They were saying um, perhaps there's even an argument that they should prioritise the league over the Europa League this season because if they achieve something really special and get themselves in a Champions League group next year, the money that that's worth completely eclipses even a quarter final or a semi final of the Europa League this season. So, you know, if I was a really ambitious, maybe people are going to say I'm going over the top, but 
perhaps a club like Braga, knowing that they're not going to have, like you say, the resources to compete against the top cl- top three clubs all the time. It's about recognising when that opportunity presents itself to really kind of try to take that opportunity. Because for me, like I said, of although it's early days, in the kind of congested fixtures that we're going to have in the next couple of months, there's an opportunity to build up a head of steam, to build up a, a points lead on the leaderboard that could perhaps see them achieve something that they haven't for the last few years, you know? Yeah, it's a risky one uh, to do. So it's one that I'm sure all managers, uh, when they get to that stage, whether they're in the Champions League or Europa League, they, they, they evaluate uh, each and every avenue. Me personally, as a romantic, you know, if I was a Braga fan, I'd be wanting to see them, of course, go forever in the in the Premier League just as much as they do in the Europa League um, and you know even if we're to su- suggest a, suggest your plan uh, uh, and they do really well uh, uh, in the Premier League um, and get Champions League you then have to think right how am I going to use the resources you have to make sure that the resources that you get you place on spot on signings which is always up for uh, dispute whether they're, they're successful or not if you go far in the Europa League uh, and and do well in the Premier League, probably not as well as you could do uh, uh, for energy purposes. But if you go far in the Europa League, you know you, you you at least as a club always have that uh, aura built up around you. And you have the memories uh, to last. So it's a tricky one, uh, and and I think as you said, we we've discussed discussed it already. Braga have a chance as they always do. I think they always. Um, perform in the Europa League and, and always do respectfully well um, and they have a chance again to, to do uh, just as good if not better than, than what they have done in the past mm. um, so it's tough it's tough it's tough to see what, what, what tackle I'm not envious of the people who are who are paid to make those type of decisions. I happily sit here on a podcast and, and talk about it instead. Um, let's talk about one more game in depth then. I want to talk about Passos de Flair versus Estoril. Um, and I think we're probably going to focus a bit more on Passos on this game because they fell to their fourth uh, consecutive defeat. They conceded three goals at home. They had two players sent off uh, and they remain one of only two clubs to have zero points, the other being Maritimo, although they actually uh, play their game in hand against Benfica tonight. As we record this, it's currently nil-nil. Uh, so we'll see how that one ends. Um, where has it all gone wrong for Passos? Because they were unspectacular last season, but you know, no less commendable for the decent work that they did. You know, they lost an awful lot of players, uh, in the season between them qualifying for the Conference League and and the next season, there was a big turnover of players. There was a new manager. They changed their manager midway through the season, so they had to deal with a lot of of obstacles. And I thought Cesar Pachotto was one of the more underrated managers uh, towards the end of last season for the work he did at Passos. It's really hard to pinpoint where it's all gone wrong. Um, obviously, a, a dreadful start to the season. What's your take on them, Patrick? Um, well, I think it's much of the same, really. I think mm. uh, if you coming into this season again, they've lost a good amount of quality uh, right through to their goalkeeper Andre Ferreira. They lost Elder Ferreira as well. Um, the RB uh, Maracas, 
you know, these are good names for a team like uh, Passos. Uh, and what they've replaced them with, I mean, replaced them with players, uh, many of which I, I, I'm not sure of or, or I haven't seen, but it's a big challenge for a manager who likes Cesar Peixot, who has a very distinct way of playing football. Um, he's got uh, very colourful ideas. He likes to see his teams play good, exp- expansive football. For him to sort of try to transmit his ideas to a team that's um, devoid of quality, it's it's, a, it's an enormous challenge, especially for him as uh, a manager that I would consider relatively inexperienced still. Mm. I know he's been um, in, in the industry as a manager for a, a good couple of years. Um, but he's still a manager who still has a lot to learn and he, he still owed that project. This team uh, now, Bas Fajeda, could have been that project, uh, but I just feel like the way they've conducted their business, uh, it, it, they've sort of left him uh, a little short and uh, I'm, I worry for him and I worry for, uh, for, for the team because um, there are certain elements within that team that um, I don't feel are up to standard or to, mm with regards to what they used to be last season or even a season before that, um, they're, they're severely lacking in, in, in many key areas. Yeah, and I agree with that. There's been a huge change in this squad. And I think what... So there's a lot of young players, you know, on loan as well. You look at the attack they went with this game with um, uh, Kofi and Dreed, uh, Nigel Thomas, Kaike came into the midfield and, and then playing Macho Jao as a sort of almost like a holding midfielder, which where he's, you know, I just don't know if he's, he's got that ability to play that position. I just thought, I thought it was a strange choice, but especially, especially because you get Jordan Holsgrove on the, on the, the bench, who's been, I've quietly a, a really solid midfielder. I thought so far this season, uh, um, seeing him play uh, when I have. So, yeah, I think this is, um, I think this is an interesting it just seems like the team, the team's still growing. Like these additions keep coming in, and, and they keep getting put straight into the starting eleven as well. There's, there's obviously going to need time to, to to balance that out. I you see Antunes at the end of the game, and, and and the tears. You know, seeing how it's just meant to him. It also reminded me that you know, Luis Carlos is there as well, and I know he's. I think he's out injured at the moment, but you know, he's a player. I think they need back in that team to sort of help balance this squad out. There's the starting eleven out with. with the young players that the the young, you know, they're very exciting, very talented young players. And hearing Patrick describe it there, the way that Pushotto needs to sort of, if you're going to try and implement a style of play, and you've got these young kids on loan, you know, perhaps having Lewis Collars in that midfield to help guide them and Tunis as well, it, it might come off, but it, it's certainly a big, big ask. I think it's slightly worrying situation when. As a club, you're relying on Luis Carlos, who, off the top of my head, 37. Yeah. Um, they've still got Nico Gaetan on the books, who, who was starting games not long ago. Vitor Antunes, who I think has still got Premier League quality, obviously not yeah. top-tier quality, but again, 34, 35. Uh, Marrakesh wasn't a spring chicken either last year. And I think you do have this disparity between these players who are kind of... It's un- almost unfair to rely on them too much. And then like you said, the, the younger players, the fringe players on that step down, it's hard for me to even think of a standout player from 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 that group of, you know, the rest of the squad. So it, it seems like very quickly and perhaps 
without them really realizing the squad has depreciated quite rapidly and they've let it, the situation perhaps get away from themselves. Um, I want to bring in a comparison with uh, Vasco Siabra here, just because we had um, we had a good question from one of our listeners, Dave Pereira, a good friend of the show. Uh, and he was comparing the situation between Siabra and Pichotto, both players who finished comfortably last season, but find themselves in very difficult situations. And I think it does kind of illustrate that for uh, a manager of a Premier League club, which is outside of the top four or maybe top five, um, things can go downhill very quickly. It doesn't take much. You know, these clubs are often on a knife edge. Um, if you'd asked me at the beginning of the season, I think Passos and Marito would have been two clubs that I was quietly confident about. Um, and very quickly, they found themselves in top positions, although perhaps for very different reasons. I think Ciarbo and his squad are having different problems to what Pichotto and uh, and Passos are having, but equally very difficult positions for two managers, two promising young managers uh, and clubs that I would have expected better from. Um, Patrick, just on Esther real quickly, um, a good win for them. They have been a tiny bit inconsistent at the start of the season, but they do look good in general. Um, we, Me and Barney were talking before the season started about the direction they went in the transfer window. Lots of young players came in through the door, you know, lots of players with experience playing for the youth teams of of the big three. Verissimo obviously came in former Benfica youth team manager. So they're betting heavily on youth, although there is still experience in that squad. Do you like the direction they're going in? Do you think this could be a promising season for them? I do, yeah. Um, it's Estoril was definitely one of the teams that I was looking at in terms of uh, when you fill out your, your top five, six. I think Estoril definitely has the quality uh, to get in and amongst those uh, those names further up the, the table. Um, they're a team who naturally has a very good culture already in terms of the football that they want to play. They have a very mm. clear idea um, of, of the style of play that they like. Uh, I think they've picked a, a good manager in, in Verissimo who will take on the challenge because uh, having been laid off Benfica, uh, by Benfica, he wants, to, he wants to prove his worth, right? Mm. Uh, and I think Estoril gives him that chance to uh, to to really demonstrate how good he really is with with uh, some form of stability under him because I think we all knew that coming in at Benfica he he sort of needed to set the world alight much like Bruno Lage did uh, and whatnot when he was uh, an interim manager at Benfica uh, so he's always up against it Estoril offers him a little bit more stability and he has very good tools uh, uh, to operate with um, you know you mentioned. Uh, in terms of signings, I, th- I think one signing who could uh, be really good is Juan Carvalho. Um, he, he, he adds to that squad, uh, in, even in an area where I think they're already quite strong, um, be it on the wings or centrally. Uh, uh, I know that they're going to lose uh, Artur uh, to Sporting, who mm-hmm. that's, that's looking like a potential uh, uh, late transfer. Uh, so, you know, it would be a shame for them to lose him, but, you know, even with uh, Jean Carvalho, even with uh, uh, Francisco Giraud, who who we all know is a player of quality, these players that they've got from uh, the, the the big three academies, they're not only they not only got the pedigree of the name beside them, but they're players mm. with good quality and points to prove because uh, there are certain uh, points in their career in which things haven't gone quite right, and they all have the chance here to come together and, and show their worth. So I think it's definitely a team to, to look out for, a team that will play good football uh, and um, 
I'm I'm expecting a solid showing from them this year. I've been really impressed with um their right back Thiago Santos, who you know we thought Goncalo Stubbs would be the guy, like the main guy. He obviously got that red card, and Thiago Santos has come in and looked absolutely brilliant at right back. So I think I think Estevez might might even struggle to to get back into this team. Um, Albert, I just wanted to quickly go back to that question from Dave, if that's all right, because I think you know. Um, I think what we're starting to see the pattern, well, certainly from the last two seasons, is that uh, the promoted teams coming up are quite stay quite consistent, uh, and and then the, the problem is that uh, for the rest of the teams in the league, that these their players are essentially in the shop window that little bit more, aren't they? And so a lot of players are moving. We're seeing to the, the Middle East and, and various different leagues, and so it's making it so much harder for those teams that are remaining in the league to to have a, that much consistency. So I think that that's the difference is that the promoter teams are actually coming up and, and almost in a stronger position, if you see what I mean, by having that that more of a cohesive unit. All right. Well, I think that brings us quite nicely to the end of our discussions of our games of the week. Just to run you through uh, the remaining fixtures that we haven't had quite had time to cover. Uh, Maritimo, as I mentioned, lost again. They lost 1-0 uh, at home against Porto Lens. Porto Lens having a surprisingly good start to the season. Um, and on Sunday, Family Cal got their first win. They beat Santa Clara 1-0. Yesterday, we had a couple of late Monday night fixtures, which was disappointing. Two games that I would have really loved to watch. Vittorio de Gimaraes versus Casapia. Casapia got a fantastic 1-0 win away from home. I would have loved to discuss that game at length. We haven't quite got time to, but we did speak about Casapia last week and they continue a really impressive start to the season. Um, and an absolute killer 9-15 kickoff on a Monday night turned out to be a bit of a hidden gem. Vizela and Gilles Vicent played out a 2-2 draw. I did watch that game last night. Uh, two very entertaining teams, both very attacking, both going for the win. Um, so yeah, I definitely enjoyed that game. And just to run through the table, as we speak, Benfica are beating past Flera 2-1. So they're currently top of the table with four wins from four and 12 points. Braga in second with 10 points. Porto in third and Portimonens in fourth place. Um, speaking about me and by now to ER words, I had Portimonens to get relegated. So fair play to them because they're making me ER words. Um, and down the bottom of the table, as we mentioned, Maritimo, Pastor Ferreira struggling. Santa Clara with only one point from four games struggling. Um, and then Family Cal got their first win to get up to four points. Well, the table's starting to take shape, although not quite there yet. Um, we're going to put you on the spot, Patrick. Something that we like to do every week is pick a game of the week for next weekend that our listeners might want to watch. Uh, Barney, I'll come to you first. Uh, what games for the weekend are you eyeing up? Well, the one for me, Albert, which I'm definitely keen to uh, try and catch, is, is once again, it's the 9.15 on a Monday night. Shazri Av. <laughs> I think that would be a lovely little tie. Obviously, both promoted teams, but uh, both playing really well in this league at the moment. So, yeah, uh, I think that's one for me, Monday night. The Giant Killers on Monday night. Rio Av <laughs> versus Chavez. That's a must-watch game. David and David. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a few corkers in there, to be fair. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a good weekend. Um... Okay, I know which one I'll go for. <laughs> I think me and Patrick might be going for the same one. I'm going to go for Saturday at 3.30, uh, the Menio Derby, Braga versus Vittorio de Gimaraes. How can you miss this fixture? It's thrown up some serious fireworks in recent years. And this is the thing, right? 
Everyone's predicting a Braga win. We know what incredible form they're on, but we had this exact same situation last year. Braga with a team in form, Vittoria was struggling and Vittoria pulled out a win when it mattered most. So that is an absolute must-watch game. Prime time, Saturday at 3.30. That would be my pick. But go on, Patrick, what were you going to say? Yeah, I would say exactly the same game. Um, you know, everyone's eyes are on Braga. Mm. Uh, Vittoria have they've been okay at times. Other times, quite lacklustre. Um, so, I mean, all all arrows point towards a Braga win. But as you said, it is a rival, big rivalry, big game. Um, anything can happen. As we saw just a week ago uh, in the Premier League, even Man United versus Liverpool, uh, everyone thought it's, it's an easy uh, Liverpool walking, but it was far from it. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we'll see a very similar dynamic uh, in that game. Uh, other, there are lots of key games, however, in this in this one. Uh, Sporting mm. need to bounce back, and they face the Sturil away. Will not be easy. Mm. Porto need to do the same thing. They've got Gil Vicente away. That will not be easy. Uh, but yeah, you can't you can't turn down a good Mew derby, can you? Uh, has to be that for me. Absolutely, and we would always try and recommend games from the smaller teams, but just iron up Friday night. Seven o'clock, Benfica versus Vizela, followed by nine fifteen, Estoril be Sporting. So that looks like a Friday night in if ever I saw one. Well, look, that does bring us to the end of this week's show. Patrick, mate, a big thank you for joining us. Uh, Patrick does a lot of writing for the Portugal website. We've retweeted his article for this week. Um, so make sure you go and give him a follow. His his handle will be in the description of uh, this podcast. Thank you for joining us, mate. And yeah, we'll definitely have to have you on again. Yeah, no worries. I had lots of fun. So yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Well, look, if you've enjoyed listening, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a star rating on Spotify. If you want to contact the show, you can find us on Twitter at Football. But that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week.